Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join me in an empty yet sunny capital. I'm Matthew O'Neill, and today, as always, we ensure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. First, we're joined by Paul Whitfield, Director General of the Wildwood Trust, a leading UK conservation charity dedicated to the protection, conservation, and rewilding of British wildlife. Paul, hello. Hello, Matthew. Thank you for inviting me on. Well, thank you for coming on the show. Uh, Now, normally we'd get straight down to business and start chatting about leadership right away. But uh, because of the current circumstances, we need to address how COVID-19 has affected your operation. Yes, absolutely. I mean, it's been an enormously challenging three weeks or month for us here. Um, our, you know, our, our main business, in, in addition to the conservation work, is we run two wildlife parks, which are open to the public. And we've obviously been shut now for over three weeks, which is mm. creating enormous challenges for us as an organization, and obviously enormous enormous challenges for leadership too um so it's yeah it's been a very very challenging time and obviously there's there's a huge amount of work ongoing to to address how we how we deal with the, with the changed circumstances and one of the difficulties with that is is not knowing what's going to happen next and how long this is likely to last so lots and lots of contingency planning and budgeting and and that sort of thing going on and, and talking to other organizations in a in a similar position and trying to get sort of that that shared knowledge and approach as as much as we can has really been spent taking a lot of my time recently now have you had to take any specific precautions for the animals uh, during this uh, period of time well whether we're open or closed it doesn't really make a lot of difference to the animals um, our keeper teams above parks are still fully engaged and doing all they normally would um you know obviously there's there's a there's a substantial cost of continuing to run even though we are shut to the public we still need to mm. do the vast majority of the work we do um in terms of the animals one of the main impacts is one of our conservation projects we we breed dormice for a national reintroduction program um and we're the largest contributor to that program in the uk but this year because of the crisis there is going to be no reintroduction so we are currently building new enclosures for all the mice that we have bred so we'll be hanging on to those for another year so there's obviously cost and time and mm. and that sort of thing, thing involved with that now let's talk a bit about the rewilding uh program uh that you uh take part in and run um, how, on the whole, does that work? Do you re- do you uh, breed uh, the animals and then uh, just release them, or is there a much more nuanced approach? It's a more nuanced approach. Um, there's been there's various different levels of rewilding that've been taking place. I mean, Wildwoods originally formed in 2002, uh, and one of the main purposes was to import, breed, and then release. European beavers into the Scottish beaver program, which was a release into the wild of those beavers, which have now established a wild population has been you know, an incredibly successful project. But in a lot of cases, it, it needs to be more nuanced than that. Um, a lot of rewilding projects involve sort of large fenced areas where animals are not completely wild, but are enclosed in a large area. Yeah, the, the fundamental principle of rewilding is to reintroduce the, the missing species back into habitats. 
where they'll recreate the natural processes that drive the increase of biodiversity and, and those natural sort of cycles and solutions that actually help those habitats maintain a far, far deeper and uh, richer habitat for, for other species. Are there any species that you believe should not be rewilded? Um, but, well, <laughs> there's some very controversial species that people talk about. Um, there's, there, was a, there was a plan to try and rewild lynx into uh, Kielder Forest um, a couple of years ago, which never happened. Uh, there's lots of opposition and, and fear about animals back in the wild. Mm-hmm. But actually, you know, an animal like the lynx is an incredibly um, you know, uh, shy and um, elusive species. You, you could be in the woods with lynx and you'd never know they were there. The main opposition to a lot of this comes from landowners and farmers who are concerned about the impacts on their on their way of life and their mm-hmm. and their incomes. So some of the larger, more more scary species like wolves and bears. The reality is, is in principle, there, there shouldn't be any reason why they couldn't be rewilded. But there's such a such an opposition to it and such an innate fear of some of those animals that I don't see it happening anytime soon or potentially even within my lifetime. Um, you know, in this country in particular, we're, we're just not used to having wild animals in our, in our spaces. It's, it's just very unusual, unlike a lot of Europe and, and America, where actually bears and you know, wolves are, are you know, they're, they're, part of, they're part of nature, whereas here they, they haven't been for a long time. And People just aren't used to it. So it's going to take a long time to bring people around, I think. Well, in fact, I was looking out uh, my back window uh, earlier on in the week, and there was a fox curled up uh, having a nap on top of the garden wall uh, for the yeah. majority of the day, which is a very unusual sight here in central London. Uh, so uh, it, it is a, an interesting concept. Uh, well, we might as well touch on leadership. Um, I always like to start the conversation on leadership off by just asking a very Simple question. What does the word leader mean to you? Leadership to me is very much about service, uh, a service to the employees within the organization and service to the to the trust itself. Um, you know, there's a good leader can make a place a fantastic place to work and a bad leader can make what should be a great place to work an awful place to work. Uh, and to me, that's probably the most the most fundamental element of it is is service to the organisation and service to the people. Now, how do you demonstrate that to your staff? Well, there's there's a lot of angles to it, and it's one of those subjects where there's there's so many different different opinions and takes and, and theories about it. But but to me, I suppose there's you know the very fundamental part of that is creating a shared vision and mission. Um, you know, making sure that everyone within the organization has has that clarity of understanding of why we are all here, what it is we are trying to achieve, um, and understanding, you know, what it is this, you know, this organization specifically exists to do, uh, and giving them a real sort of sense of meaning and ownership of, of that vision. You know, our, our mission is very simple. It's protecting, conserving, and rewilding British wildlife. So, if it isn't one of those things, then it's not something we should be spending our time doing. And I found that's enormously powerful and helpful in, in getting people engaged and, and on board with, with what it is we're trying to do. Um, in terms of service, I suppose one of the key things on there is is that balance between managing people and letting people get on with their jobs and do their jobs and 
ensuring that managers have the, the support to, to manage their teams without being micromanaged or, or, or rescued every time there's a difficulty. Do you feel that your leadership uh, model has come from a role model in your life? Um, not really. I mean, I suppose the, the role model I've had more than anyone was Ken West, who founded the Wildwood Trust. Um, he recruited me in the very early days as, as a trustee to the board of Wildwood. And when he had some health issues, effectively persuaded me to become the chairman of the board. Um, and at the time, it was one of those situations where I had no idea why he had chosen me and why he had not decided to go with somebody else. But he's he had that ability to see the sort of the skills and the abilities in, in other people uh, when they perhaps they don't even see it themselves. And that's, to, to me, I think that's a real skill and is a real, a real ability of great leaders in order to find the right people that can take things forwards. Now, unfortunately, our time together is starting to draw to its close. But before I let you go, what does the next 12 months have in store for the Wildwood Trust? Well, it's going to be a hugely challenging time, um, fortunately, because of, of the way we have planned and the way we've structured our business with a membership model. You know, we should survive this crisis, even if it lasts for six months. But it's going to be very difficult. And it will also give us the opportunity to really closely look at how we do things and whether or not we, you know, we need to relook at the structures and, and the processes we have in place to make sure that they are the best they possibly could be. Crises like this, you know, you need to try and take whatever advantage you can from them and, and learn as much as you can. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure uh, speaking with you today, Paul, and I do hope that you can come back on the show when life gets back to normal. We can have a more in-depth conversation about uh, your work. Paul, thank you. No, fantastic. Thank you very much, Matthew. That was Paul Whitfield, Director General of the Wildwood Trust. And now, if you haven't heard it before, is Jonathan White's exclusive interview with Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, we're now joined, uh, though, by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final, Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, thank you very much for coming on today. Uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it, and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Oh, there, there are one or two people who are very familiar um, who, who do Google me realise that I did uh, score nothing for Essex. Uh, for my only game for Essex first team when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool. Many, many years ago, 1962, I think that was. So I didn't, and, um, yes, I, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be <laughs> playing, I guess, with one or two injuries. Um, but the problem that I had was, was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time, mm. being stuck between the two sports. And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a there's a, another world that might exist where... Um, so Jeff Hurst was a, a first-class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer. But um, whether it's business or cricket or, or football, obviously the importance of leadership, it can't be understated no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes. Was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was... 
simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at the football. And uh, the, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and the manager over many, many, many years. He and he's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over years, I guess. He would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with. He'd worked with. So you're very fortunate. I think you, you think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and a great coach as we had in Ron Greenwood and, of course, a great manager in South Ramsey. So to come across people like that of that calibre can have a huge influence on your your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's, that's quite purely the case. Absolutely. And in those early days um, at West Ham, uh, with, with a manager like, like uh, Ron uh, there... It's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with your other players. And, of course, they become your friends. Who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself? Was it more? Was it Peters? I think probably, well, I was very fortunate to play with the calibre of the players I did. Again, mm-hmm. again, extremely fortunate to play with you know, the captain um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters who was a fantastic player. And some, as far as Martin's concerned, I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved. And what a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me, I guess, would be the captain, Bob Noor. Although he was only uh, about eight months older than me, he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier. He played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more, looked upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy with the same age group as me. And I looked at how he, how he uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved, and how he played. And so he, he would say, I would also say he was a big influence on me. One thing I would say about leadership, uh, what I do, I do understand clearly in all walks of life, leadership is at the top, is absolutely vital. For a, a for a business, a football team, in any walk of life to be successful, and it's quite evident. I was in the motor trade for a long time as well, selling car warranties to car dealerships, and you could almost tell when you walked into the business uh, in a, many of the car dealerships. You could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction, people came and welcomed you that the business was well run, or conversely, not well run at all. And so I understand the, the, the value and quality of leadership. And that's why I'm very fortunate to be involved with my career in those early days with two, two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Alf Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that. But obviously, uh, after uh, at West Ham, your uh, plan came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man I'm sure when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge. When it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, the first thing I say about Alf Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who had on me um, as a person. Um, mm. Naturally, it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand, whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you. It can have a great impact on your, <laughs> your career and, of course, your life. But yep. in that era I was involved for six or seven years, he 
it was quite clear who was the boss. He was quite very, very strict. Probably at a time, maybe overly strict, but at times you probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now. But he was the most powerful man I came across, and very few people. And he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group, part of a team. It is important that if you've got a group of people, and that's in any walk of life, they're all singing off the same hymn suit, and you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in the organisation, one thing I have learned and I've taken on in my life, my family, you've got somebody in a group that doesn't want to be part of it, you, you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless with that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one, thing I, one of the most serious ones I think I've learned over a long period of time. And is there, do you think... Uh... A, a specific moment, I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, if you could uh, perhaps pick right now, that did show those uh, qualities in uh, Sir Alf so uh, sharply? Yes, I think for, for me, certainly, um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team, or certainly in the squad, and surprising there were not. There was no necessary reason for it, but looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of the group. Um, so that that's that for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it, only a few games before. I was I was playing and I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final. And it looked at that stage as if I was going to be playing in, in the team but uh, in a couple of friendly games more friendly games before the final in Poland and uh, uh, Norway I think in Denmark mm. I didn't I played two of the four games and I probably didn't quite replicate my my form that I've been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England and he he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay he started off with Jimmy Green and Roger Allen. So I, I had an impact of thinking I at that stage I, like I was going to play and didn't start because of just a lack of form. I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position. And somewhat fortuitously, I only got back into it because of a, a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Glee's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities, it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them. And there really must have been moments, maybe there weren't, but uh, let us know in that 66 competition, the prolonged pressure on all of you, you know, the weight of a nation, did it get to you? Oh, not for me personally, no. I I think, and I don't, uh, not for me, not for a second. I think... Mm. I was just happy to be, you know, be involved in the squad initially. Uh, not at all. I didn't. You're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really. Looking back, out, out. So I never really felt. People talk about pressure a lot, and it's there. And people, players talk about. It, people talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessary to feel any great pressure pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important to say about Alf Ramsey, the people he, he left behind that were left in the squad after he'd moved one or two players out, 
a squad that were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed, professional, uh, top-quality people. And that was, again, the leadership that Al showed. He, he got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were very, I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Um, we had some great players, but overall, they were great hard-nosed professional players. Um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years. And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm, I'm not making this up, I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realised there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I, I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows, in fact, starting this week over the next uh, two or three months. And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about 20 minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And the, the, there's, I won't mention both. There's too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, the other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> but the, the, the other ridiculous question I get asked, did I realise there were people on the pitch? And of course, I jokingly say, "Yes, I was just about to to shoot to score the goal, and I looked round, put my foot on the ball, and looked round for a little while, and said, oh dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch.' So that uh, I've had been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke and make a joke about that, and saying, "Yes, I put my foot on the ball and waited, but just had a, look, had a glance round, you know." Maybe it does prove there are things that such as stupid questions, really. Um, oh, yeah, there, are, there certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you too. It won't be too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a jersey or Channel Lines, Jersey or Jersey, two or three mm. years ago, and most stu- stupid, irrelevant questions, absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever, which uh, was absolutely. But I can use that now because it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then. But we. Um, uh, well, you want me, I, I can tell you if you want. You want. You got time. I can tell, I tell, tell you if you want. Jeff, go on. Go. On. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay. So I was uh, doing a, a at a dinner in the you know, Channel Lines, three or four hundred people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honor. Mm-hmm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about twenty minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening, and there was usual football questions. And then all of a sudden, I heard a somebody at the back who who asked a question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give mm. this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, when a turtle loses its shell, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> what, what a question. What a question. Uh, well, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Is- uh, well, uh, and we, that you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with <laughs> well, things no, like that. But then again, I found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well. So it did, uh, um, it did make again, laugh, if if you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. Um, <laughs> but there, there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff, I think, um, you, you were a young man when... See, this happened when you must have realised that people, teammates, began looking at you for leadership. Um, is that something that occurred to you, or did you just realise that by, by quick, one way or the other, 
people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration? Well, possibly. That's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now, quite frankly. That's a new, a new question. Mm. Does anybody look up to me? I'm sure perhaps uh, there are. There are people who pay you compliments of, of uh, fans of, of West Ham and uh, of Stoke. And of course, in, uh, England fans who, um, I, I think probably uh, it would be very immodest of me to to suggest I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. Um, you, but, you don't but, have to, but I will. Uh, well, um, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it. Perhaps, um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you and um, uh, maybe. Uh, it has a uh, helpful effect, uh, but I do think you, you, how you behave and set examples on and off the pitch is people must realise that that's, that has an influence. How you react and behave mm. to, to situations on and off the field surely probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team laterally. Um, yeah, and and with that, looking at. Um, uh, Football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you as someone with um, those qualities that you could identify in a in a natural leader? Um, well, a player, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really? Well, I think some of the outstanding. I think the, the best example about a, a leader and at the moment is. Is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool? Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to uh, acquire the players and get them to their attitude. Is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but there's more than just being good players in football. It's that a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other and the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence, these unbelievable results. There are, you know. And the great players not always succeed as, as individuals or probably even uh, certainly as a team if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that, that comes through the leadership. That's not just luck. Absolutely. That's, that's absolute leadership. He'd be the best example, of course, in, in football terms today. Uh, easily, easily. And of course, but going back not that long ago, Alex Ferguson, who's just absolutely... Mm. You've got to take him as the first example, but Klopp's only done this over a period of time, a short period of time. But if you look at the 25, 26, 27 years that Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United, and subsequently since he's gone, how they they are not doing so well. He's the best example of management I've seen, we've seen, we've probably ever seen. And I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again. It's absolutely astonishing. Astonishing. And do you think, could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today? Yes, I think so. I think, yes, no, mm. no question at all. I think they, uh, Ron Greenwood, yeah, the answer is straightforward. The answer is yes. Um, That's a they, <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes. I can elaborate as much as you want, but the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes. Uh, and with, um, and I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so, but um, I'm conscious of the um, time. Um, looking um, back 
through your um, playing career, perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England, who was it uh, that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership, but uh, companionship and and level-headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later? Well, I think we were very fortunate and I wouldn't pick any one player out. I think looking at so that... So many. Yeah, so many. And that's why we were successful because we had so many um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team. I think that that was outstanding and, uh, uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about uh, all of them in, in that breath. And there was nobody... And going back to an earlier, earlier question for me, that um, all hard-nosed professionals, good, good teammates, mm. good socially. And that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days every year, uh, up until about five years ago, of course, with, with the uh, sadly dwindling yes. numbers. We, we still got on, our wives got on all together all those years later. It didn't just finish after 66. That reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. the, um, getting on with each other lasted for, for a long, long, long time. And I wouldn't and when it, when you put those those questions and how you categorise those, I would pick every one of the eleven players um, who you put in that category that were like that. There was nobody else; they were all outstanding. And I think that was a big part. I can't stress how big Absolutely. a part that was. And I've said that many, many times for the success of the team. We have some great and players. You... We have some great players, of course. But without the attitude uh, alongside that, going back to an earlier question, you, we wouldn't have been as uh, ultimately, ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, you, the, the the whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts. But with it, yes, the word, the word is team. The word is t- the word is team. Absolutely. And I always use the word team when I talk. Sometimes you know, together, everyone achieves more. And that, that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly, uh, Jeff, looking, if, if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life, what would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single mind in this, uh, single mind in this dedication dedication to the job um, thinking about that 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 role that job in leadership all the time it's a huge part of your life but it, you, I don't think you can switch off when you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level you may you know have a, way, have a couple of weeks holiday but I'm even sure if, if these top managers and lead, leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm I'm sure there's not uh, they will not switch off for, for two weeks um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organisation. And I think that's, you're completely focused. You're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements. And it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Very good to nice to have a talk about this and just go over this, go over the past and just uh, refresh my mem- my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. 
This has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence in leadership with us. I have been your host, Matthew O'Neill. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, other guests, or any other person therein associated.